You are listening to a Cold Lake Community Church podcast. We hope today's message inspires you. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families connect. All right. Well, we're going to get started here right away. And uh, I have the great privilege this morning of uh, introducing uh, my co-speaker with me. This is Rhea. This is my wife, my gorgeous wife. And um, this is her first time ever speaking. And so, yeah, thank you. Yeah, give her a round of applause. So, Leading up to our marriage conference, Hayward and I had this brilliant idea that we would, um, the two weeks leading up to the marriage conference, that we would speak as a couple and talk on the issue of marriage. And um, it's fun because, you know, even though Hayward and Effie are married, Rhea and I are married, context is so different sometimes. You know, like literally when Hayward met Effie and they started dating, it was like, completely different context. Like, I think Hayward was like 26 and she was like just out of high school or something or in high school. It was a completely different world. It was literally like the day where he went to ask dad if he could date her, you know, his daughter. And he's like, you're, you got a great job. You're, you seem like a, you know, you could support her. Absolutely. You're a great member of our community. And it's like a completely different context, the whole courting situation. So, but, um, uh, and I got together, um, quite a few years ago now. We're going to be eight years in March that we've been married. And um, we were engaged for six months before that. And we dated for, what was it, a year? A year or so. Um, but it's been a journey. It's been a trek. It's been a lot of fun. And uh, is your, no, I don't know. Anyhow, maybe because you're not speaking right now. Yeah. But we'll pass it to you. But um, I just wanted to share <laughs> with you guys um, first and foremost, about a marriage conference experience that we had. So our first marriage conference that we ever attended was in Edmonton, and we went before we were married. And so we did pre-marriage counseling with Hayward Neffy, and, uh, and then we decided to go to, I think it might have been Evangel, I'm not sure what or one of the was. big churches in, in Edmonton. We went to this marriage conference, and um, it was a huge blessing to us. It helped us immensely to navigate some of the pitfalls that we were about to encounter in our first few years of marriage. And on top of that, it also helped initiate our first big fight that we ever had. And uh, I don't know if you guys that are married or in relationship with someone remember the first big fight that you had. Maybe you look back and you think, oh, it's just cute now. But when you're in it, it's anything but cute. Um, For us... What happened was we were um, at the conference, and on the Saturday, lunch wasn't provided, so we got to go off for an hour and go have lunch anywhere we wanted. And so we got in our car, and the first mistake that we made was Rhea got behind the wheel, and I got into the passenger seat. And I'll tell you why for us this was a mistake, because I do not, Rhea knows Edmonton a little bit better than I do. I grew up in Calgary, and so when we're driving in Calgary, I always drive because I know where I'm going I don't have to look at a map. I don't have to look, pull up Google Maps. I can navigate myself really well. Edmonton, I do not know very well. Even though I've lived in Cold Lake now for like 12 years, I go to Calgary more than I go to Edmonton. And so whenever I go into the city, I always use, I always use Google Maps. But this time, Rhea was going to drive because she knew the city better. And I was going to navigate. So my job was to find us a restaurant to go eat at. And, any, um, any restaurant. Any restaurant, Yes. Any restaurant. So I pull out my phone. I'm looking at Google Maps, and she turns on to the white mud, and we start driving, and she's getting frustrated telling me, like, she keeps saying, you know, where do we turn off? And I'm like, well, I can't get my Google Maps to work. I'm looking at restaurants, and nothing's popping up. And I said, just turn up any road. And she's like, any road? No, I'm not going to get off this road until you tell me which road to turn off onto. And so we're going to another road pass or whatever. I'm like, okay, we'll turn on that one. She's like, well, is there a restaurant there? I'm like, I don't know. And she's like, well, why would you tell me to go up a road? You don't know what's up it. Like, just tell me where there's a restaurant. And I said, I don't know. And so anyhow, we get driving and, and all of a sudden, you know, it gets really tense in the car. And um, 
I finally decide we're going to turn off on a road, and we're coming up on this intersection. I don't know if you guys know this, but Edmonton does not have very good signage. I don't know what it is, but so we're coming up on the interchange, and Rhea's like, okay, well, what lane do I need to be in? Are we turning left? Are we going off in a, a ramp and over a cross? And I'm like, I don't know. I can't tell, and I'm zooming up on my Google Maps, and all I see is all these lines just crisscrossing, and there's no way to tell which way we should be in. And so we go, we end up missing the turnoff because she was in the wrong lane. And oh, was that a bad day? It was, it, you know, it, <laughs> you know, there's no U-turns in, in when Rhea drives because she just knows where she's going. She knows point A and point B, and she gets there to the shortest way, the fastest way possible. And there's no, there's no need for a redo because she gets it the first time every time. Me, not so much. Um, but um, eventually, we do decide to go to West Edmonton Mall. And so we pull up to West Edmonton Mall. He found Mall. it on his Google Maps. Yes, West we finally Edmonton found Mall. West Ed. We're if there's there. anything that there is good signage in Edmonton for, it's to navigate your way to West Ed. If you ever get lost, just follow the signs to West Edmonton Mall, and you'll get there. Um, but we get in there, and then the next really frustrating thing happens. We walk in, and we go into the food court. And I'm like, what would you want? And Rita goes, I don't want anything. I'm not hungry anymore. I'm like, what do you mean you're not hungry anymore? Like, we just went through this whole thing. We finally got food, and she wouldn't eat. And that's it, exactly how I sounded. It's, it's exactly like how she sounded. That's, and so, that's it, right there. <laughs> and so we just ended up leaving, getting back in our car, pretty much in silence, back to the marriage conference. But thank goodness that we had the marriage conference because, you know, it was, it, if it wasn't for that marriage conference, think how long it might have taken for all this anger and frustration to come out. <laughs> I know what's interesting to me is that we're in that kind of lovey-dovey stage that Pastor Hayward talked about and Hayward last week, Hayward and Effie, about how at the beginning of the kind of infatuation stage of your relationship where they can't do anything wrong, and even when they do something wrong, there's so much grace for that person that it's as if you didn't even see it. It didn't wrong you, even if they were wrong, it didn't wrong you because you're just so in love. I was in that stage until we got into that car that day. <laughs> And it's interesting how once emotions start rising up, how all of a sudden all those things, those little things that I just swept aside that weren't a big deal, all of a sudden came to mind. And all of a sudden they weren't such a small little thing anymore. I don't know if you've ever had that where little grievances come up in your relationship and rather than verbalizing it, you're like, I don't want to start a fight, so I'll just stuff it. I'll just save it here. Yeah, save it for later, put it in your back pocket. I don't actually do that because I don't have a good enough memory for that. <laughs> If I were to try to do that, I'd get all the facts wrong and just discredit myself all the way through it. But, um, but all, so, it's interesting. This is interesting because yeah. actually my perspective on that drive is just a little bit different. What? Because, I know, I don't, I don't remember the oh, I'm not hungry part quite like you Maybe did, it was your stomach that said it. <laughs> It just seemed so simple to me. We were at the marriage conference. We had just a little bit of time. And so it seemed so simple. Like, just get in the car. We'll drive. We'll go get something to eat. We'll come back. No big deal. Like, all you have to do is take out your phone and just look up on Google Maps. Like, just type in any restaurant you can think of. Like, it does not even matter. Like, there's so many restaurants in Edmonton. It seems so simple. And then we keep driving and driving. We get on the white mud and we drive on the white mud all the way from one end of the white mud to the other end of the white mud. Then I'm like, okay, Mark, we can't go any further. There's no restaurants here now. Like, we've gone all the way to the other end of the city. Like, I'm going to turn around, go back. Like, just any, any exit, just tell me to get off. When you see food, just, just tell me. I'm not going to pay attention. Just tell me when to get off. And so, finally, we get to West Edmonton Mall, which was the easiest place to find with all the signage. And so then I was just so like flustered and sick because I'm like, this is like, we're at a marriage conference of all places. Like, why is this even happening? Like, this seems so simple that I was like, oh my goodness, like I can't even eat anything now. Like, I'm just not, I just See? can't. We'll just get, but. <laughs> and so it seemed so simple, but now we learned such an important thing that weekend that I cannot be the driver in our car. Mark must be the driver if we don't know where we're going because it's amazing. I can pull out my phone. I can pull stuff up on Google, and I can tell him where to go to get there. It's really, really easy. <laughs> it's really easy. But the other reason why I have to drive is because I can go drive past the turnoff that we're supposed to be on and go, oh, 
That was our turnoff. We'll have to find somewhere to turn around, I guess. Rhea can't do that. She's like, oh my gosh, there's a turnoff! Oh, oh, and it's like it's a crisis situation. And for me, it's not a crisis. I'm like, oh, there it goes, there it goes. And so that's part of it too. I don't know if how you guys respond when you miss the exit, but you know what? The the worst time that when we were on our honeymoon, this kind of happened again. We were using a Tom Tom that was in our rental. And I don't know if you guys have driven lots in Florida, but in Florida, there's toll roads everywhere. And so the problem is every time you miss your turn off and you have to loop back, you have to pay the toll again. And so we were trying to find whatever, a hotel or whatever, and we kept missing the turn off or, or like the, the interchange had so many lanes that we couldn't get across. And, and so I think there was like one toll that we ended up paying like 10 times because we kept looping back, back and around. And it was just like so frustrating. Um, but yeah, it's not the first time that that happened. That's but why you just need to pay for cell phone data so that you can use Google there Maps you go. when you're somewhere there else. There you go. Lesson learned. But we learned many things. Um, one was that Rhea has to navigate and I have to drive. We also learned that I am an in-time person and Rhea is a through-time person. And so what that means is that I'm somebody who just lives in the moment. Wherever I am right now, I'm content. We may be heading that direction, but I'm okay if it takes us a little longer to get there. If I see something, you know, I've never seen before, I might just take a little detour. Rhea's the opposite. She's somebody who's a through-time person. So she plans out the destination A. This is where we're starting and departing from. This is where we're going. We're going to drive to the shortest distance and no stops. The whole intent of that trip was to get from point A to point B. And any detour, unless it's for a Starbucks coffee, is unnecessary. And there is some flexibility for Starbucks. Yes. But other than that, or a diaper change, we're on the road. And so that's how Rhea likes to navigate. And so in our relationship, that's something that we've had to deal with. Know that we're different people. We operate in different ways. And it requires a lot of compromise on my part. <laughs> and her part of what? Well, of course. I'm just joking. We both have to compromise every day. Because otherwise, we'd never get where we're going. We wouldn't have even got to church this morning if I didn't compromise a little bit on that. But what this... Oh, you mean week, if I didn't compromise? Oh, sorry. If you didn't compromise... <laughs> There's so much compromise all the time. I just don't. No, we're both, you know, relationship is give and take. That's really what it is. And so it's, it's learning who your spouse is and loving them enough to be willing to change, to, to adopt some of their things, to make them happy because you love them. And when both couples are doing that, you hit the sweet spot where you begin to understand each other and you're not worrying all the time because you understand that about each other and there's that give and take that you can navigate the journey without absolute chaos, and it's wonderful. But this weekend at this marriage conference also affirmed how we need our relationship to be centered around Christ, how God needs to be the center of our relationship, because if it was just the two of us, we wouldn't make it very easily. It would be a very, very, very hard road. Colossians 3, 1 to 2 says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above and not on earthly things. I know with us in our relationship, like we have goals. We have things that we want to attain together and individually. But we have to have a higher picture, um, especially now that we're in ministry. That there's a bigger picture of things going on. And um, we have to have the mind of Christ in situations and not just our earthly circumstantial situations. And so, um, when you set your mind, therefore, on what's above, it requires some making up your mind on how you're going to respond to different situations. And uh, I don't know if any of you have presets in your car. You know how, like, sometimes you have buttons where, like, you're driving in your car and you can push one and it goes to light 96, you know, or the different radio stations, you have the presets in your car? Well, Rhea and I just bought a car. We bought a Dodge Journey down in Calgary um, in October. And when we bought it, all of our radio presets are set to Calgary radio stations, which makes sense because that's where we got the car. The problem is, is that they're still set to Calgary radio stations. And so when you go and you hit the button, it just takes you to a fuzzy frequency that you can't hear anything. And um, so when we want to listen to a radio station, we have to manually flip through all the different radio stations. And... Um, 
unfortunately, I haven't taken the time. One time I did try, like when I was just sitting at a light trying to, you know, change it. I couldn't figure out how to do it, and I haven't put the time in since then because we're always driving, and it's not safe to drive and do stuff like that. It's called distracted driving. But um, I've not taken the time and the effort to change the presets to match the Northern Alberta stations. And so it's inefficient and takes up a lot of time just trying to do a simple task, like turn on CBC or flip it to another radio station. And, um, you know, I think this is a problem that often many of us have in our life, not so much with the radio, but we have presets and defaults in our life, in our relational lives that we default to that aren't healthy or productive. And uh, sometimes they're rooted in, in our family of origin. They're, they're things that we picked up from our families. Sometimes it's just the culture that we live in. Sometimes it's habits that we've formed through our adult life. You know, and I'd say especially the habits that I formed once I left my parents' home. I was living on my own before we got married. I think some of those habits were the things that were harder to break for me for some reason. I'm just changing the dynamic of my day-to-day life. I think I said day three times there. That's impressive. You know, I grew up in a home where my parents separated when I was 12 years old. And so I still remember some of the dynamic elements of my parents' relationship when they were together. And I have some perceptions of the negative patterns that developed in my parents' relationship from what I recall as a child. And so when we got married, I was determined not to repeat certain things, not to do certain things. But the problem that I encountered was that oftentimes I'd focus on the thing that I didn't want, the person I didn't want to become, the husband I didn't want to be. And I would fail to determine and to identify exactly who it was that I wanted to be, what exactly I was going to do instead. And what ended up happening is I led myself into doing some of the very things that I was trying to avoid. And I don't know if any of you have ever had that experience. You know, they, they say it's like that phenomenon that, like, why is it that when a car veers off the road, it hits a lamppost? How big is the lamppost and how big are the spaces in between the lampposts? Statistically, the chances that you'd hit a lamppost are pretty small. But yet, many people, when they veer off the road, they hit a lamppost. That's because usually that's what they're thinking. They're thinking, don't hit the lamppost, don't hit the lamppost, don't hit the lamppost, and their body mechanics shift them to hit the lamppost. And, uh, and so I had to learn this, too, that what I focus on is the very thing that I get more of. And so as Christians, the thing that should be the primary focus of our life should be getting to know God better. It ideally should be God. And when our focus is on knowing God better, we get more of him and less of ourselves. And what we were singing about this morning, about <clears throat> more of you and less of me, that's a natural process of walking with Jesus because what happens is we begin to conform to his image, the Bible says. That it's a process in which he comes into our life and the Holy Spirit leads and directs, affirms our identity in him. And, we become, and that new identity that we have as sons and daughters of God gets affirmed over and over and over and it transforms our thinking and it transforms our being and our belief systems. And if we allow those things to direct our presets, our defaults in life, we can live a completely transformed life. But the problem is, if we know the way we should be living, we know the principles and the biblical principles we should live by, but we keep them in here. And we don't allow them to fully transform our being because we're not um, fully surrendered to them. That what will happen is we know what we should do. We know what the Bible says. But then when push comes to shove and emotion comes in and conflict arises, you default to the natural thing that you used to do before you knew Jesus. Because it's, there's still a bit of an ingrainedness there, that pattern that's been developed. And so we need to learn to program and tune ourselves into the things that God has directed us in to be able to live a good godly life and to fulfill the plans that God has for us. As followers of Christ, we have a new perspective on life. We can see things through the lens of the gospel, and therefore, we must also change our presets and our defaults to how we will respond to relational situations when they arise. And sometimes it takes some premeditative decision-making to navigate things in life. You can't premeditate everything, but um, often you can. Love is one of the most foundational things to relationships, every relationship, whether it's between a husband and wife, a family member, friends, or neighbors with, with God. And in fact, you know, the Bible says that as the church, 
we should be recognized and identified by our love from, for one another. That's how important it is. Jesus summarized the whole of the commandments into what we call the greatest commandments of all, the commandment of love. And that's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Equally true is to love your spouse, your wife, your husband as yourself. You know, what's interesting about this command is that there's an assumption that's built into it. And the assumption is that we love ourselves. You know, sometimes when we think about loving ourselves, you know, we can think initially about our human nature that puts ourselves before others in which we operate to serve our own self-interest. But selfishness and self-protection is not really love, but it's a result of sin that's corrupted the human heart. And true self-love begins when we have the revelation of first who we are as sons and daughters of God, when we know that we are loved by our Creator. Um, in these verses here in Matthew 3, um, Jesus was, says, As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. In these verses, Jesus comes up and gets baptized by John. And this happens before he's done anything. He's not done a single miracle. He has lived most of the first part of his life in relative obscurity. But when Jesus comes up out of the water, God says over him that his identity is set. He's worthy of love because he's God's son. Jesus then goes into the wilderness for 40 days. And when he's done, Satan comes to him. And in the next verses into Matthew 4, Satan tries to get Jesus to believe that his value comes from what he does, from what other people say, or what he has. And Jesus doesn't fall for it, obviously. But he knows deep down the truth that his identity comes from God alone. That he is... That's what God says over us, too. Before we do anything, that our identity is we're worthy of love because we're his. Before we come into marriage, before we do anything, no matter what our spouse or in-laws say, before we have anything to show, before we have a ring on our finger, before our, if our spouse is in the best shape that they could ever be in or not or whatever, we are loved and we have value. And so does your spouse. God calls us both worthy of love, outside of anything we can do, outside what anyone says about us, or what we have. What were my friends and in-laws saying about me? <laughs> <laughs> Just joking. First John 4, 7 to 14. It says, dear friends, let us continue in love, to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love God, does not love, does not know God. For God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. God's love is a sacrificing love. It's a love that puts somebody else above your own needs. And that's ultimately what a marriage relationship is. It's looking out for each other's needs even before your own. And the, but the problem is, is if, one, if you only have one member of this relationship doing that, it's not healthy. One person is giving and serving and serving and serving, and they're getting nothing in, in, in return. The other person is not loving them as God calls them to love. You know, in verse 11, it says, Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought into full expression in us. It's interesting that his love is brought into full expression as we love. I don't know if you've ever been in the situation where you've been forced to love someone even when you don't feel like it. You know, and sometimes love is not the lovey-dovey stuff. We have kids. Sometimes it's not easy to get them to brush their teeth, to bath. But I want to tell you this. It is not hard love to make your kid brush his teeth. It's just love. It's what parents do. 
They try to raise up their kids to do the things that they know, and they love, we love them by making sure that they bath and brush their teeth. And um, as we do that, even when it's hard, even when it's difficult, the Bible says that his love is brought into full expression in us. And so sometimes, even when you don't feel like loving, that's when we have to love the most. There are times, I'm sure, that Reef doesn't feel like genuinely expressing love towards me. Maybe it's something I did or didn't do. Usually it's didn't do. Maybe it's something that I said or didn't say. It could be either one of those. Um, <laughs> honestly. My issue is that I'm a verbal processor. And so I, t I think things out verbally. She's the opposite. She thinks stuff internally. And so she actually holds on to the, you know, be slow to speak. Because she is slow to speak. I'm quick to speak and quick to ask for forgiveness, which is very important, which we'll get to soon. Verse 13 says, God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. Furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and now testify that, his, that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. All who declare that Jesus is the son of God have God living in them and they live in God. We know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in his love. I know that Rhea loves me. And even on those, those days that are more challenging, I can rest knowing that she loves me. And there's a different level of grace and a different level of, of, of um, giving and taking that maybe we have than maybe I have with other people sometimes because we understand each other to a different uh, level than I, I know most everybody else in the world. Um, but what's important is that love is at the foundation of everything we do. And it's not a, it's a love that's looking to get people to, to fill them, but it's about pouring yourself out and loving others in the way that they need to be loved in that moment. And um, the full expression of God's love in us will be developed. Um, Secondly, another preset that we wanted to talk about was truth. And um, just as love is a foundation to every relationship, a healthy relationship must have a preset of truth established. Because to have a relationship set on lies and deception is not healthy. The thing is, though, sometimes lies and deception creep in in unusual ways. And one way that I want to suggest is sometimes it can creep into a marriage relationship is when you have feelings in your heart that you don't express. And rather than giving them to God, you hold on to them. And then you hold on to them. And you hold on to them. Ephesians 4.21 says, Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted, full of lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Truth needs to be established in our relationships. First, we need the Word of God, which is the truth. A relationship needs to be formed on that. And it needs to be our guide and the starting and end place of our life conduct and our conversations and our disagreements. Is that it's not good enough to start with God and not close with God. Because he's, he's the thing that, that makes us one. You know, it's, it's, it's God in our life that really brings that unity. There's, you know, in our relationship. Um, you know, truth. The second thing about truth is that um, sometimes feelings and hurts can develop in a relationship and they don't get properly expressed. And um, in us, I know, like, one of the ways that we navigate our conversations most effectively is in road trips. And so the reason that last week I talked about the marriage conference in reference to cars and oil changes, and the reason that we have so many car references in this talk this morning is because for, for me, our therapy is going on a road trip. And I think part of the reason is, is because Rhea can't run away when we're driving in a car. It would be very unusual if she would open her door and just roll out the car while we were moving. She's not going to do that, that so I know I got her. That would be a bad fight. That would be a bad fight. But, 
I know she can't do that. And so for me, because I'm a verbal processor, if there's something on my heart or something that I, I want to, to talk through, so I don't often have the, like, in our relationship, sometimes I'll talk things out before I fully have a fully formed thought. And so sometimes the wrong ideas or impressions get planted, um, which can lead to offense or hurts. Um, but when we're in a car and we can't go anywhere and we can just have this back and forth conversation without someone feeling like they want to ditch out or they feel like, I can't handle this conversation right now, we can actually get to it. And we can discuss it and go back and forth. And, and uh, it always helps to have a coffee. Stop and get a, a coffee on the road. That definitely helps. But um, truth is important. I think we can easily have areas of our life that we keep hidden from our spouse. And, now, and all of a sudden, our relationship's no longer founded on, on truth. And so, like, maybe you have one spouse that thinks everything in your relationship's wonderful. And the other spouse is dying inside. Absolutely dying inside. Feeling neglected, feeling unloved. Feeling like they're left doing all the work doing all the emotional work of the household, perhaps, taking care of the kids, a little help from, from dad. But those things aren't helpful if they're kept inside because bitterness can begin to grow. And, and unless there's open and healthy lines of communication to work through those things, there probably won't be reconciliation. And just like with God, we need open lines of communication every day. Our prayer life is talking to God. And it's learning to hear God's voice and, and him speak to us. And it's, it's a dialogue. And so we need to continue in relationship to dialogue. And for, for Rhea and I, that's something that's really important to us is dialogue and talking through things. And uh, sometimes Rhea journals things. She might have to go into a room and journal for an hour and then come out with a fully formed thought. Um, whereas I don't need that. I can just talk on the fly. I can talk about anything. You can bring up any conversation. I could probably run with it with you. But... Um, but truth is important. If, you, if you're holding on to things and you can't communicate really what's happening inside of you, your relationship is not founded on truth in that moment. You're, there's a deception that's happening because one person thinks one thing and the other person thinks the other, and there's no clarification there. And it needs to be brought into the light and talked about in, in a safe way um, in which you give parameters to that conversation. And that's another preset is, is having playing the rules of the game of, of dialoguing by the same rules. But anyhow, I'll let you go to your next point. Part of, when you get married, you get to decide what the culture is for your family. You get to decide what things mean in your home. So speaking the truth is so important. Um, like Mark said, we, I am a lot slower to speak, but I have, probably have a lot more going inside of me most of the time. So I have a lot of emotions that I like. I need to get out, but sometimes I can't because, because Marco's a verbal processor. So he is doing most of the talking, and I'm just like, I can't. Like, I just need like quiet for just a few minutes, just so I can like think all of these emotions through, so that I can just say what I need to say. So when we get into conflict, um, conversations when they trigger my emotions, um, we can say things we don't mean. Or for me, I cannot say what I actually need to say. And so we have to decide how we're going to respond as a couple. And when we're upset and triggered, or else we just go right back to whatever fuzzy preset we were at originally. Instead of following God's plan and um, responding in love to each other and choosing to have grace for each other and choosing truth over whatever our emotions are saying, we can just go right back and just be so fuzzy and upset about whatever it is. Um, yeah, so for, one, for us, when I get upset, I need to take a few minutes and think and process, maybe even leave the room for a few minutes, go journal. If it's really, really emotional, I need to like maybe just go for a run for a little bit and like go and just get all my emotions worked out so that I can just say something without all of that emotional processing happening at the same time. And so um, so I leave, and Mark can easily just talk and debate anything through. I know the first time that we went and we hung out with Mark's family, my family is very much like, we're more like me, which 
it works really well. And, and Mark's family can just, de- they just sit and they debate stuff. And so the first time I went and hung out with him and his family, him and his brother were having just like such a strong debate. Like they were like going back and forth. And I'm like, oh my goodness, like they're going to like actually fight each other right now. Like this is like actually kind of scary. I've never been in this situation. And then they were just like, got to the end of their debate and we're just like, oh, oh, oh and like all fine. And I'm like, I'm like, I'm like kind of scarred from this. Like, I don't even know. Like, are you guys mad at each other? Are you not? And he's like, oh, no, that's just how we have conversations. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. Like, I need to, like, go journal for a bit now. Like, that wasn't even in that conversation. And so it's just, like, such a different way of dealing with stuff that when you're married, you just need to know what that is. So sometimes I just have to just be silent in the room and listen to Mark process because that's how he's going to get to where he needs to go. And for me, sometimes he needs to just let me go to the other room and not follow me and want to talk things through right at that moment. Sometimes I need to just go and think through it and then we can, then we can go for a drive and get a coffee and talk about it. Yes, I recommend it. It works wonderfully. Um, I, know, I know for me, when I know something is not right, when there's some fuzzy channels happening between us, is that I'm reading, I start reading into every little thing she does, every facial expression, every silence at the dinner table, and I'm thinking, what did I do? What did I say? What did I do? And, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, are you okay? And I'm all of a sudden asking, oh, what's wrong? And she says, oh, nothing. You know, and all of a sudden I'm reading into every little thing, and sometimes there's actually nothing wrong. But... W- in me, I realized in those moments that we're not communicating properly, that there's, that there's something that, that is not flowing properly, and so either one of us is not operating from that standpoint of truth, that there's maybe something that I need to share with her or something that she needs to share with me or, or something, but um, I know that's something I noticed in myself. Um, I know in verse um, 25 here of, of Corinthians 4, I think it's 4, um, that I was referencing before, Ephesians 4, chapter t- um, verse 25. It says, stop telling lies, but let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. And I think this is something, it's like God had marriage in mind when he wrote this. Because it's so easy to go to bed without resolving an issue, to let things linger, or to stuff something that you're feeling and to not verbalize it out of convenience or maybe you just don't want to have that conversation. But the problem is, is if you continually stuff your emotions and you don't get it out, you don't verbalize it, then one day you're just going to explode. And you know, like sometimes when you see those videos on like, Facebook of somebody at the store and someone like gives them the incorrect change and they start like, you know, blowing a gasket on them and you're thinking, okay, obviously that wasn't the issue. It triggered them, something that was already alive and burning and viciously wanting to get out of them. And as Christians, we should never, ever let ourselves get to that place. And when it comes to relationships, I think if you find that you're reacting all the time to everything your spouse says... There's something that's not right within you. That in, in a loving relationship, you respond to the other person. There's a difference between giving a response and giving a reaction. When you react, you're often doing it out of emotion, out of anger. You'll often say the things you don't mean or say something that you don't mean to. But when you respond, it's, you're internalizing what someone else is, is saying to you from a place of understanding understanding their heart. And then you are internalizing it and you are responding back in love. And it's, it's, it's easy and hard to do all at the same time. It sounds easy, but in the moment when emotions start to flare up, sometimes it's not as easy as it sounds to do. But to me, to, to, to allow there to be a false narrative or false, falseness happening in our household, to me, is the equivalent of a lie. It's like a lie of omission. Is that if I'm really upset about something and I don't verbalize it, but I'll verbalize it by doing, doing something not in love or she'll, you know, not verbalize something and I'm picking up, 
you know, things from a, a door getting closed a little bit louder than normal or, or a huffing and puffing as walking by or, or you know, that, that's not the way to communicate to anybody, let alone your spouse. Um, and so don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't give a foothold to the devil. Anger and bitterness are like weeds. I don't know if you've ever done this in the summer or in the early spring. You're walking up to your house. You notice that there's one dandelion in the middle of your lawn. And you're like, oh, do I go out there? I got my dress pants on after church. I don't want to get them dirty. So you just leave it. And the next day you're in a rush. You run out and you see the dandelion. You think, oh, I should go get that. But I'm in a rush. And you, you go. And after a couple days, you come back and you're walking up to your house. And now you just have a flower garden of dandelions all over your lawn. Bitterness and anger and resentment are like a weed. They're not something you can just chop the head off and think it's going to go away. You can take away the floral bloom, the thing that you can see on the surface, but that doesn't get to the root of the problem. And so the way that you remove a weed from a yard is you pull it out by its root. You get it right at, at its heart. And so just like anger and bitterness, we need to do the same thing. We need to when we see those things and we sense those things in our being, we need to give them to God and allow him to pull those things out of us. And part of that process for me is to verbalize it to my wife. To her, it's to journal, pray about it, think about it, and then there's still some verbalization. But we do it in different ways. And, um, and as you guys that are here that are married, you know you guys do it in different ways in your relationships. Um, but it's important that that gets done. Theodore Rubin is quoted as saying, the problem is not that there are problems. The problem is expecting otherwise and then thinking having a problem is a problem. If you navigate marriage or anything in life thinking that it's always going to be perfect, you're going to be disappointed. Problems are going to come. Jesus never promised that a Christian life is a life without problems. In fact, Jesus said, in this life you will have trouble. But take heart, for I've overcome the world. You know, as followers of Christ, we have a new way of approaching every situation, including difficult ones, than the world does. We know that God is in control, that we can trust him. And we know that if we lean into him, that he will eventually turn every situation for our good, and he'll use it for his glory, if we're willing to surrender our lives and the outcome to him. But sometimes we want to create the outcome. Um, I know that in my life, I'm somebody that does, to a certain amount, in certain areas, like some certainty. And sometimes when I don't have certainty, I want to try to create it for myself. But the problem is that if we're always trying to create certainty in everything, there's not, a, there's not room for God to move. Because you're already determining what the outcome should be and telling God what it should be. And now your prayer life's tainted as well, because now you're just ordering God around, telling him how he should run things. But that's not a healthy dynamic to have with your Heavenly Father. You know, my daughter asks for things, but when she starts bossing me around, it becomes a problem. God is in control, and we can trust Him. And we can trust Him with our full lives. And surrender means that we relinquish control of everything. And choose to lean on him, to learn to know the Father's heart, more so than to have the right outcome that we desire. To use those situations in our life as something that draws us closer to know who God is and to see him move in our life. You know, sometimes, um, you know, when stuff starts getting really tough in relationships, some, some couples feel like maybe, you know, they've been living a lie so long Maybe they've been, you know, maybe the wife's been the faithful housewife and the husband goes to work and she's dead inside and she's, you know, she would have left him 10 years ago if she didn't have kids. And she's just slugging it through and the husband is, is just doing the same thing. He's living his life, but he's not experiencing abundant life. He's just making it through day to day to day. You know, um, it's challenging. Some people may be in the place where they feel like that spark will never be back in the relationship, that it's just gone, that it's dead. There's not even a single warm coal left to remake that fire. 
But the good news is, is that God resurrects dead things. Did you know that? And I would guarantee that a lot of things that you think are dead aren't dead. If you were to ask Jesus, he'd just tell you they're sleeping. Do you remember the story of Lazarus? When Lazarus died, Jesus didn't go back right away when they told him about the news that he wasn't doing well. And Jesus eventually does come back, and the family's all mourning and grieving because he'd passed away. And Jesus says, he's not dead. He's just, just asleep. And then he calls him forth. You know, I think sometimes broken relationships, they're not dead. They're just asleep. They're dormant. It's a winter season. But God wants to bring spring. You're maybe stuck in an eternal winter, so it feels. Some call it Narnia. God wants to breathe new life into your marriage, into your relationships. I don't believe that your marriage is dead if you're feeling that that is your reality right now. But maybe God is saying it's not dead, it's just asleep. That maybe you've ignored it and neglected it, and your heart has become cold towards your spouse. But God is wanting to resurrect your love for each other and reestablish a deep intimacy and restore your relationship. James 1.5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. We don't have to have all the answers. But we know the one who does have all the answers. And when we lean on him for the answer and we walk into it in faith, God will bring about resolution. I know one of the things that when we were doing our pre-marriage counseling that Hayward and Effie told us that was just, it's been so instrumental in our marriage, is a triangle with God at the center and both the, the spouses on the corners. And as you go towards God, then you get closer to each other. And that is the most important thing, is keeping God where you're headed. You're not headed towards your spouse. You're headed towards God. And as you go, you get closer together. Yeah, that's good. So love and truth are two of those presets that um, we try to live by every day. But the other two are grace and forgiveness. And sometimes these two things seem like they're on opposite sides of the road here. But um, it's a big, important part of a healthy, godly marriage. That we recognize that nobody's perfect. The wives and husbands, you're going to let each other down. You will disappoint sometimes. You might forget certain things that are on the to-do list that you were supposed to pick up at the store. You might forget special dates, such as birthdays or anniversaries, which is never good. You know, you might be inconsiderate at times. But it's in these situations that we need to extend grace to others. You know, a common definition of grace is God's unmerited favor. God giving us what we don't deserve. But God demonstrates his love for us, the Bible says, that while we were still sinners, he died for us in Romans 5. His love for us is unconditional. And we do not earn his grace. It's something that he gives to us freely because he loves us. For it's by grace that we've been saved through faith. And this is not of ourselves, but it's a gift from God. Ephesians 2.8. Salvation and God's forgiveness is a free gift, and we don't deserve it. And there are times that my actions have not warranted a loving response from Rhea. But when you determine the preset that you are going to have is grace, is love, is speaking truth in love, and not just covering it up, but bringing it out so that it can be exposed then forgiveness can happen. And forgiveness is a vital part if we're going to have a godly, a godly marriage. When Mark and I got married, we decided that when we had kids, that I would stay at home with them until they went to school. This was what our moms both did. They both stayed home with us. And so it just seemed like, well, of course, that's the thing that we need to do. That's obviously... It's just come down through the generations. We just need to carry on the tradition, which worked well for me because I want to stay home with our kids. And um, so then when my maternity leave was done and the oil field was getting slow, Mark suggested that I go back to work 
until I was going to be taking mat leave again eventually. And I was, I was so not on board with that. I was like, oh my goodness, like this was our plan. This was my plan. I was staying home with our kids. Like this is not, this is not okay. And um, that's not what we decided. Um, so <laughs> short story, I did go back to work. <laughs> but I was really not happy about it. I, my, instead of just talking through it and, um, and having grace for that season of our lives, I dug my heels in so hard and I just started a pre- different preset of, no, I have the right to be upset about this. This was not my plan. This was not the way that this was supposed to go. I was supposed to be home with our kids. Now you're sleeping in at home and I'm getting up and going to work. And I was just like, oh my goodness, like just so, just so much anger came in in that season by changing that preset away from grace and forgiveness and just saying, it's okay, this is the season that we're in. This is just what we have to do right now. This, it actually makes the most sense. Um, and so instead of just talking through it, instead I just stuffed all of those emotions that I had, all of that frustration that I was feeling about not being able to stay home. I just journaled it, but never told Mark about it. I just was like, oh my goodness, like going to work. Okay, I'm going to work another day. You're still sleeping at home. And I come home for lunch and Sophia's still in her pajamas and like, oh my goodness, like the dishes aren't done when I get home from work. And I'm like pulled out like the thing that like all is like the cliche thing that men say to their wives when they get home from work that everyone knows is like, what did you do all day? Like nothing. She actually said that to me, by the way. I, I did. She did. I, I went there. And, <laughs> and, Imagine if it was reversed. Just say it. Okay. But I actually, I still don't know because when I'm at home, it's, it looks different. And so, <laughs> and so as time went on, the more I stuffed, the more I began to get sarcastic with Mark, the more annoying every little thing started to be, and it just started proving to be more and more. I just started ingraining that preset in that he didn't really care. He wasn't on my side. He purposefully, like, forced me to go back to work. And, you know, like, it's just like all of these things that the, the devil will get in there and will tell you lies if you let him. And those lies will just build up, and it'll be such a strong preset that it's so hard to change. Um, and so I started building up resentment toward Mark. Mark, on the other hand, was, he talks through everything. And so he was just like, just had grace for me. And just, I don't know if he even knew how deep that oh, went, how much I was just like, oh, so upset about it. And, um, he just let my comments go most of the time. Didn't take my attitude to heart, which is good. Um, and he knew it really wasn't about him. But so instead of being honest with Mark and sitting down and talking through how I was feeling, it, I had to start the process of changing that preset back to grace and forgiveness. And a lot of it was forgiving myself because Mark already, he didn't take any of it on him. But just forgiving myself that I let the devil have that foothold in my life, that I let him in and let him change my preset of having grace in our marriage to being so angry and frustrated and letting that seep in to every area of my life and bottling it up. And, um, and with God, there is no, there's no middle ground with forgiveness. We either apply God's grace or we follow a road towards bitterness. And Hebrews 12, 15 tells us what happens when we fall short of grace. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Um, Not forgiving means falling short of the grace of God and that results in bitterness. A root of bitterness doesn't destroy the other person. Like for us, Mark was just carrying on with his life. He was enjoying his year with Sophia and I was just in this whole pool of bitterness just like seething in it and it just wasn't even like 
It just is not. If you can make the choice, don't go there. It's like, it's just not a fun place to be, to walk through that and to then to walk out of it. It's just so helpful if you can just have grace and just receive the grace of God for yourself and your marriage and your spouse and be able to walk through that. We must develop the habit of being quick to both ask for forgiveness with humility when we're wrong, when we wrong our husband or wife. We grow strong in grace when we understand God's unconditional forgiveness for us. Then learn to unconditionally forgive others, including our husbands and wives. First Corinthians 10, um, there's a conversation that takes place with Paul and others in the church, and it's primarily about um, food custom and eating of, of meat that had been sacrificed um, to pagan gods and idol worship in, in idol temples. And the discussion was around whether or not they should partake of this food. If they go into a Gentile's home and they've purchased this really cheap food, and that's what they serve you, should you eat it. And Paul says to eat it, but it, something that he says in this really stood out to me when we were just talking about um, what we were going to share this morning, and it was this from 1 Corinthians 10, 23 to 24. All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own good, but that of his neighbor. And so I was just thinking about that in context of our marriage, that there are many things that I have the right to do in the sense that I could say, well, I have the right to go out and hang out like Hayward did, go out with the boys. But that might not be helpful to our marriage relationship if every time I'm, I'm home from work, I'm trying to ditch out to go hang out with my friends and neglecting my wife and kids at home. That's probably not going to be helpful. It's not going to edify. And uh, it's not loving. And so let no one seek his own good over that of his neighbor. I think as, as a, a good wife and husband is somebody who doesn't seek out their own needs above that of someone else and uh, that you're always looking out for your spouse um, at the same time. Um, and to close here, because we're a little over time, I just want to close with Second Peter 1.3. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. This includes having a godly marriage. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of marvelous glory and excellence. You know, for us, having these presets, we, we didn't call it presets before we started preparing this, but the idea that we predetermine certain scenarios, how we're going to engage with one another when conflict arises, and that's something that Hayward and Effie actually helped us do when we were in pre-marriage counseling, was think through some scenarios and how are we going to respond to each other when those things come up. And, um, but presets are important, and being able to identify what your default position is, recognizing when it's not healthy, not rooted in the things of God, not rooted in truth, not rooted in love, not rooted in God's grace, and where those things that prevent you from being able to forgive. And if you can embed those things and be, allow those things to become your defaults in your relationship, it'll help you immensely. And you'll learn who God is through the process. Because the marriage relationship is a way in which God allows us to understand our relationship with him as the church to Christ. Is this, we see that embedded all the way through scripture. Is that God has a beloved and that is the church. And we're going to live with him for eternity in relationship with him. And um, we get a practice run at it in our, in our real marriages with each other. But continually we get to to see what God is doing um, and apply the word to our life. And every time you do that, you learn who God is in the process. And as long as you make him number one and you bring it back to God um, and you bring those defaults in, um, you can do it because God's given us everything we need to live a godly life. And when your presets go off, if you let something into your life, you have the opportunity to come back. You have the opportunity to go to God and you have the opportunity for him to to heal those places in you and to, um, and to be your plumb line and to know, to bring that back to having grace for each other and having truth in your marriage and not letting those small things build up over time and, and create a big thing in the end. 
Absolutely. Um, let's finish off with a word of prayer. Father God, I just thank you, Lord. God, for marriage. God, I thank you for your word that has given us guidance and, and ways in which we can live, live an abundant life. God, I thank you for your spirit that abides in us. And God, I pray, Lord, that we would be a people who are spirit-led, God, that know who you are, God, that seek your heart, and God, are, are seeking um, to know you so that we can see the kingdom of God expand on the earth. And God, I thank you, Lord, for how you operate through marriage relationships, Lord. And, and I thank you for this church. And God, I thank you for the marriage conference that we're hosting next weekend. And God, I pray, Lord, that you would deposit on those in this room's heart that aren't registered, God, that are available to come, Lord, that they would make an investment in their marriage, that they would come, that they would um, give six hours this year to a marriage conference, to a day of, of learning some practical tools and spending some time with their spouse to um, grow closer together and to be able to build the foundations of a healthy marriage. So God, I thank you and I praise you today, Lord. We just lift up Hayward and Effie again to you. Peace be with them. You have been listening to a Cold Lake Community Church podcast. We hope that you've been blessed by this teaching from Cold Lake Community Church. Thank you for your continued support of this ministry. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families connect.